I'm Michael, and welcome to Beyond the Screenplay. Today we're doing something different. We're talking about our top 10 favorite films released between 2000 and 2009. I'm joined by the Beyond the Screenplay team, Trisha Arvan. Hello, everybody. Brian Bittner. Hello, hello. And Alex Cayetos. Hi. Before we jump in, I want to quickly say thank you to all the new patrons that we've been getting recently. It's been really, really fun to get to meet all of you new people and get to chat with everyone in the Discord. I'm glad everyone has seemed to enjoy our conversation about Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit trilogy. It's been really fun to hear your guys' thoughts. I also want to say thank you to everyone who's been answering the questions on Spotify. The last question we asked was what your favorite Indiana Jones film was. And it's been interesting to to hear the responses. (laughs) It's mostly Raiders favored, Hmm. uh, but there is a lot of Last Crusade. Yeah. A couple cheeky people with some Crystal Skull in there. (laughs) And uh, I haven't seen any Doom. I haven't seen any Temple of Doom. No Temple of Doom? Wow. Wow. Don't think so. Maybe one person, but that's been fun. And so our question for Spotify listeners for this episode is of course what is your favorite film of the 2000s or the aughts they ought to come up with a better name for aughts than aughts but <laughs> they oughta yeah, yeah. no <laughs> got the pun in we're rolling we're ready to go okay so top 10 films released 2000 to 2009 so let's start with just the criteria how did we decide how we were going to put together this list because this is a crazy period of time i think Mm -hmm. for us and sure you know i was 14 in 2023 in 2009 so that's a pretty like some change happens during Mm -hmm. that period of time (laughs) yes um and also that was a long time ago now so change has happened since then so yeah i'm curious for you guys what what was this process like alex how did you approach putting together your list I mean, this is a really hard list to make because I love a lot of movies from this era, way more than 10. And so I had to really think about, yeah, what does it mean for a movie to be a favorite movie from this period of my life? And there are movies that I think maybe objectively better than my top 10 that didn't quite make the cut. Like The Prestige didn't quite make the cut. Adaptation, Minority Report. These are some of my favorite movies of all time, but they didn't make the list because what's on the list are the films that kind of changed my life because this was the Mm -hmm. era of like yeah high school through college which is just like the most formative time ever and (laughs) i think the movies that made the list were the ones that deeply impacted me and changed my idea of what movies could be or what kind of movies i wanted to make uh etc etc and so So that was my criteria ultimately was just which movies had the biggest impact on my life. Not necessarily what are the most objectively perfect movies, although some of them I would argue are. And we'll get to that. Interesting. (laughs) I wonder what that one will be. I think Uh I know. uh (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's an important distinction also that we talked about in our previous top 10 episode where we talked about our favorite films 2010 to 2020 is that there's a difference between the best movies ever and our favorite movies ever. So I feel like that's Mm -hmm. just a general thing that should be said more in the world also but okay yeah. cool so alex life-changing movies trisha what was your criteria so on our best of the 2010s my criteria was i have to have seen it at least twice and my criteria for this is i have to have seen it at least 12 times <laughs> because i've seen these movies that many times basically right. here's the thing about my list just to like preview it for you a little bit i have a few romances and a lot of action movies an array of romances and action movies for you and that's all and they're all like huge movies that everyone has seen a lot of times and <laughs> We've done videos or podcasts about at least half of them already, so they're not going to be surprising. But when I was putting together my list, I just felt like it would be disingenuous to pick movies other than these because they are the ones that were my favorites then and that now are still movies I would put on at any time. Basically, like any movie on my top 10 list is one that I say yes to every single time. Someone's like, hey, do you want to watch this? I'm like, yeah. For sure I do, (laughs) even though I've seen it at least a dozen times. And so Mm. it's just silly to pick anything else. And there were 15 of those, basically. And so I just kind of whittled that down and and picked these. There are a couple that I didn't learn to love until later that I like ended up in like 
you know, just kind of missing it. So like Itu Mama Tambien is one of my favorite mm. movies mm. from 2001, but I didn't see it actually in the aughts. I didn't see it until, you know, afterward, like in the 2010s when I was a little bit older. I haven't seen it 12 times is another thing. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I've seen it a few times, but didn't clear that bar. Right, exactly. I like you, Alex. I have the prestige in my like honorable mentions. Yeah, where I really liked it at the time, but have grown to appreciate it more and more since then and that kind of thing. That's where we are. Nice. (laughs) It's going to be a lot of big, great movies that we've already kind of talked about. Sometimes I'm very curious to see who surprises us where as we get a little deeper into this. Me too. But it won't be me, probably, is what I'm telling you. Yeah. So at least 12 times. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I were exaggerating. I yeah. I wish right. I wish but that we was like not. hyperbole. It's certainly not. Yes. Awesome. And Brian, what about you? Yeah. So like you said, there's a whole different experience. The 2010s, there were probably only four movies on that list where if you told me I couldn't have it on my list, I would have been upset. And the rest were just like, these are really good movies for, that, I, that I like a lot from this decade. Yeah. The 2000s. Now we're talking about sort of our more formative, impressionable years. So there's more movies where I'm just like, well, this has to be on the list. And, oh my God, this isn't on the list. And I can't believe this isn't on the list. Like if you had told me this, 15 years ago, I would say you're crazy, you know. So then as I started just sort of making a spreadsheet of movies and like moving them around to kind of see what felt right, I kept coming back to four key criteria that they sort of kept falling into. You know, it's Uh not like I came up with this and then applied it. It was just sort of like, why do I feel like this has to go above because of this? But I feel this has to go because of this. So what I finally came down to was how good I think it is, of course, just like, which again is not equal to favorite, but it does play a, a huge part in how much you like a movie. My emotional reaction to it, just how I feel when I'm watching it, just in in the emotions, my personal history with it. So there are movies that, you know, you saw with your friends a million times or whatever. And like that, it's less about the movie itself and more about like what you've <laughs> part of your life with the movie, like how you've spent your life with the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then uh, what I take away from it thematically, what I feel like it actually has to say and how it maybe has made me think about things differently in life. And, you know, not that every movie is like, well, now I'm, you know, rethinking my entire life. But usually pretty much every movie on my list, I can use it as an example when I'm talking about philosophy or something like that. I can just be like, well, yeah, it's kind of like this and how this movie has this example of how people are and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. What was interesting was the three movies that didn't that just fell short. They actually fell short for different reasons of those criteria. Love Actually was one of them that was really close to hmm. to my top. It's probably it's like eleven or twelve, and I have a great history with it. I just have a friend. My, I saw it in the theater with my best friend. Some other friends of mine watch it every Christmas, and it just still like hits me in the feels every time I watch it. But I don't know that there's a ton I take away from it thematically. Like I don't really know that it makes me. <laughs> think about things sure and it's a christmas movie which almost felt like cheating because it's like i don't know how i would how often i would watch it if it wasn't tied to a holiday but because it is tied to a holiday every christmas Mm -hmm. it's like gotta watch love actually again and then memento was again Mm -hmm. just fell short which is just a movie i think is really good i don't really have a huge emotional connection with it other than i saw it way back in 2001 and i loved it and i still love it and i still think it's great but it's not sort of an emotional type movie. It's just a movie that's like, here is this story. And like, look how good I am at telling things backwards the first time. (laughs) (laughs) And then another movie was Donnie Darko, which was... Didn't make it interesting. Yeah, it didn't. Yeah, it was like one of my favorite movies of all time in the 2000s. And... Then I kind of stopped thinking about it for a long time. I watched it a few weeks ago. It was actually really fun to rewatch a bunch of these movies and some of them I haven't seen in a few years, you know. Uh, so I rewatched it a couple weeks ago and I, I still got some of the same emotions uh, and, and it sort of still had like a nice nostalgia factor to it. But ultimately, I just I don't think it really holds up as a really good movie. And it just sort of didn't. It's just sort of fallen out of favor with me a little bit. Again, it's probably... 13, 14, 15 on my list, it's still up there because I do still connect to it and I do still like it a lot. But it was just one where I was like, yeah, this movie sort of doesn't quite do to me what it did 15, 20 years ago. Oh, as I say, you kind of outgrew it, which I think happens to some right. movies. Yeah, where you're yeah. like, yeah, and it's interesting. I don't think about this movie in the same way that I, not that the movie has changed, but like I have changed, the world has changed, that kind of thing. Right. Right. So yeah, I just thought it was interesting that each one that kind of fell short fell short for a different part of my criteria. So I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. So I think for me, it's kind of a a little bit of everything. At one point, I was trying to think, well, do I want to do kind of like 
your criteria, Alex, of like, what were my favorite movies in 2009? Like when these movies were happening, like Mm -hmm. what were the big ones that I loved and changed my life? But as you're just saying, Brian, like sometimes, you know, how you feel about it changes or like you're saying, Trish, you grow out of it. So Garden State would have been number one Uh if Uh this was like recorded in (laughs) 2005 or whatever, but it is not on my list. Uh And then there's also just, uh, you know, doing lessons from the screenplay for me when i dive into a film and like really like pull it apart and all that it kind of stops even being a thing so that kind of auto cold some of those movies also that i was surprised for example the dark knight is not on my top 10 but that's a movie that i you know would have thought would have been but i'm just i've thought about that movie too much and it's not even a movie anymore yeah oversaturation maybe right Right. (laughs) interesting yeah so so mine is kind of like a blend of like what are things that were meaningful that shaped me as a filmmaker and as a creative person but that i think also still hold up and like you're saying trisha if someone is like do you want to watch this right now i'd be like yeah i think so another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So I think it's time for us to actually start getting into our lists now. So do it. So this is the way it's going to work. So we're going to go around and read our number 10 through number four. This is stressful. We're getting stressed. (laughs) (laughs) You got stressed the last time too. Open ourselves to judgment on 10 through four to the ground. Discuss. (laughs) And then we'll go around and say all of our number threes and all of our number twos. And then our favorite film of the aughts. So Alex. Take us away. What are your 10 through four? So number 10 is Mulholland Drive, David Lynch. Uh Uh-huh. Number nine is Requiem for a Dream. (laughs) Straight out of the gate. (laughs) Already got some patterns for me. Number eight, The Dark Knight. Okay. Number seven, V for Vendetta. Number six, Moulin Rouge. Number five, The Fountain. And number four, Before Sunset. Nice. Very that nice. Is my, that is my 10 okay. through 4. Moulin Rouge made it in there pretty high up for you. Yeah. Moulin Rouge was a big deal for me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love Moulin Rouge. <laughs> well, we should talk about it soon. We yeah. should. I would love to. My list is definitely not an objective list in any way. As I said before, they're all very like important life moment movies uh, in, a, in a way. But movies that like you... Michael and Trisha said, I would watch any of these movies in a heartbeat now also. I don't think they have lost their magic for me. You would just throw on Requiem for a Dream? just <laughs> <laughs> Not casually, but I definitely bought the 4K Blu-ray. I have yet to watch it, but I have it. <laughs> so I intend to watch it at some point again. It's a happy quarantine movie. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> like Moulin Rouge, for example, I saw that for the first time, not right when it came out, but like on DVD in the summer between high school and college. And it, like I just had my first taste of like dating and I was like a hopeless romantic. And so it was just, you know, pure hopeless romantic catharsis. <laughs> so it, a lot of these movies, you know, they showed me how a film experience allowed me to process emotions and process life changes and like feel things really deeply. Requiem for a Dream, I saw that movie also on DVD, just like on my laptop. I watched the first half of it at night and then I like wanted to go to sleep or something. And I watched the second half of it first thing in the morning the next day. (laughs) The rest of the day, I like couldn't do anything. I just I was like, yeah, I like I, I felt kind of ill and I just kind of was like, I don't know what to do with myself right now. And I thought that was kind of awesome. Upon writing, I didn't like how I felt, <laughs> but I was like, wow, a movie on my laptop like shook me to my core and like left me feeling shattered, which sounds like a bad thing. But like I loved it. And it was my introduction to like feel bad movies that get under my skin and like change me. And that was just so impressive to me. <laughs> you know, I know not everybody's looking for that in a movie, but right. That's where you and I are similar. Like to me, yeah, wanting to watch a movie a lot is not 
something that I feel like is a criteria for me. Most of my movies on my list, I do want to watch a lot and I have seen a lot of times, but it's like if a movie is really difficult to watch, but you just feel completely in love with like the state it puts you in, you know, then uh, then like that is important for me. But I don't want to watch it again tomorrow. I don't want to go through that again tomorrow. But other people like like Trisha, you're saying it's just like these are just really fun. And like I want to they they just bring me joy. And like that's obviously just as valid. It's just a different kind of way of looking at it. And then some of these like before sunset, you know, makes me feel a lot of things, but it mostly makes me feel happy and joyful. And I love the actors and I just love being there in Paris with them. And you know, that's mm-hmm. bittersweet, but always pleasant, lovely experience. Before Vendetta is just I want to get high on revolution and montages and music. <laughs> always down for that. Right. The main thing I notice when I listen to you say yours, Alex is strong visual style, like an editing, mm. like all of your entries, I feel like are just really strong visual cinematic style to an extreme degree. <laughs> right. There's no quiet movies really no, there. No, no, no. <laughs> right. Before sunset, kind of. But that's even got its own kind of special thing going on with the... Yeah, it's allowed yeah. in other ways, in it, not literal ways, yeah. It's, yeah, it's very true. It's like all of these movies, I think, yeah, they're all experiences and use cinematic language to the max effect to create like an altered state experience which is yeah ultimately what i'm looking for so yeah okay awesome so that is alex's 10 through 4 trisha do you want to give us your 10 through 4 yes here are some romances and action films (laughs) (laughs) you might have heard of (laughs) my number 10 is punch drunk love oh i forgot about punch drunk love (laughs) see Number nine is Eternal Sunshine, which we just talked about. Mm -hmm. Number eight is Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. Yeah. Number seven is The Incredibles. Number six is The Bourne Identity. Mm -hmm. Number five is Lost in Translation. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And number four is Ocean's Eleven. Nice. Nice. Our Eternal Sunshine is nine. (laughs) That feels like a Trisha list. Yeah, but Eternal Sunshine is pretty pretty down there. Yeah, I don't know. I, I really love that movie. I just wanted to be honest, I guess, about which DVD I would like pick off the shelf on any given day. And Mm -hmm. like nine times out of 10, it's an action movie. I don't know. I find action movies really comforting. The last couple of nights I've been having trouble sleeping and I've been watching Mission Impossible movies, which I've seen (laughs) a lot. (laughs) I've seen them a lot of times. I just rewatched Fallout over the last two nights and... It's so good. Anyway. I love Fallout so much. All right. It's a good movie, Michael. It's a real movie. It's not a ride. Thank you. All of the Mission Impossible movies are great, but we talk a lot about what film can do. And I feel like as serious film critics, we often tend to put on sort of hats about or or just airs maybe about, you know, sort of the human condition and important Mm. films and, you know, all of these things. And I'm not saying that I don't love that about film or that it isn't something that moves me really deeply. It is. But one of the things that film does do more than almost any other kind of art, if you want to call it that way, is take us away. And when you are watching a really good action movie and seeing just incredible, fun, fast-paced cleverly put together really exciting cinema there's nothing quite like it to me i mean and that was what i like started out wanting to write in some magical world somebody would let me write historical action movies that's what i would do like i would you know something not like exactly like guy Ritchie's sherlock holmes but something like that (laughs) in that vein yeah that's great or like westerns you know are kind of historical action movies if you if you want to think Mm -hmm. about that and i've written a few westerns and i don't know that's just kind of where my heart is and so you know the incredibles is one that i picked and that's a really great great animated action movie and i i love it yeah. yeah, I mean, and I feel like, you know, there's the high octane um, lost in translation is pretty high up there also. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so that definitely fits with that theme. I told you there were also a few few bittersweet and some romance uh-huh. things sprinkled, sprinkled in there. Sprinkled around. Yeah. I'm so happy you included Punch Drunk Love because that movie mm-hmm. actually has also been a big inspiration on me. And yeah. it totally slipped my mind. I don't know how I forgot about it, it being in the aughts world. But I think I saw it after the aughts, so it, it didn't. It was in front of mind for that period of my life. But yeah, love that movie. 
that's one of the few times I felt during a movie like just I had a visceral reaction that was insane. It was just like it wasn't <laughs> like it wasn't just, oh, I'm emotional now. It was like my body is like convulsing. At, like I'm so just just struck by what I'm experiencing right now. It's just a, like I just have a very memorable uh, uh, feeling about that. That also happened in Breaking Bad a lot. Mm-hmm. We sh- yeah, we should talk about Punch Drunk Club at some point. I, yeah. I would love a, to. A movie people need to pay attention to again. I might say it's my favorite P.T. Anderson movie. It might be. Fair. Definitely mine. Yeah. We'll talk about this more a little bit later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I bet we will. Oh, yep, yep. I figured we might. <laughs> <laughs> there will be conversation. Brian, <laughs> what is your top 10 to four? Okay. At number 10, we have High Fidelity. Mm-hmm. Number nine, Shaun of the Dead. Number eight, Children of Men. Nice. Number seven, No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> number six, Collateral. Number five, The Dark Knight. And number four, Mulholland Drive. Hi, Alex. Hi. <laughs> I see you. Nice. Okay. I was recently scrolling through our LFTS videos and I had kind of forgotten that Shaun of the Dead was a thing. And then when I saw it, I was like, oh, that's totally going to be in Brian's top 10. So I was I was right about that one. Brian, tell us about Mulholland Drive because it was also on my list and I would love to talk about why it was on our list. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, I'm just a David Lynch fan. Like I, you know, just talking about movies that just have a mood and do a thing and put you in a state of mind and that kind of thing. Um, David Lynch has always been that for me where I'm like, I would never argue. He's like a brilliant filmmaker. I mean, I think you could. (laughs) Well, you could, I I would like, I would never argue. He is like a technically great filmmaker, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like Hmm. if you watch Mulholland drive, it's really messy, but in a way that I, that totally works for me. Um, And there are just even some like camera things that feel very, like they feel like they're from the mid nineties for a 2001 movie and, and, you know, things like that. But I just love what David Lynch does and what he can do to me. And it's just no one, no one else makes a David Lynch movie. Mahalo Drive also in terms of personal history, I think I told this before on the podcast, my friend Liz and I, we had a theater class in college that ended at I think one thirty every Friday. So that Friday that Mahalo Drive came out, we took the subway down to this cute little art theater in, in Old City, Philadelphia. And we saw Mulholland Drive and then hurt our brains and everything. And we're talking about it. <laughs> and then the following Friday, we said, do you, do you want to go again? And he said, yeah. And then we ended up going five Fridays in a row to the same theater to see Mulholland Drive every week. Wow. That feels like something in Mulholland Drive, like the same <laughs> old art theater five times over and over. And then uh, and then I took another friend to see it. So I think I saw it in the theater like six or seven times and uh, just watched it again the other night for uh, for the first time in a few years. And yeah, definitely watching it from a more critical eye. I was just like, okay, this is maybe not the most da-da-da. But then by the end of it, I was just so overwhelmed with Lynchian feels that I was just like, yep, this this is number four for sure. I'm happy with it being there. I also just love there's like there's like a camp sensibility in it, you know, with yeah. the kind of Hollywood satire and Naomi Watts performance. And I just I'm just so delighted. I'm both like put into a weird mood and weird state of mind, but also I'm just like laughing and giggling and having such a good time with his like oddball sense of humor. <laughs> I mean, the most brilliant thing for me the first time watching that movie was not knowing who Naomi Watts was and not knowing that she is a good actor. So I'm watching the first (laughs) two hours of this movie being like, oh, this is like an over the top performance and it's kind of silly and kind of weird. And then she starts acting, you know, two hours into the movie. You're like, oh, you're really good. (laughs) And then you realize that's all part of what this movie is about. That's part of the theme. That's part of the setup. That's part of the payoff. And like, yeah, Naomi Watts gets to be awesome in this movie but she yeah. she also spends the first you know 90 to 120 minutes just being like oh my god look at this this is so lovely i'm having a great time you know and you're just like oh i love is, it so much a weird. yeah me too <laughs> all right sorry i spent maybe too much time on that number <laughs> number right. four but people like that movie a lot obviously yeah i was gonna say people really love it the thing that surprised me the most uh, about this list was actually children of men and no country for old men which I love both those movies and I knew they were going to be in the top 10. The more I thought about it, the more I'm like, I absolutely love these movies, but my adoration comes from like such an academic place 
of like, mm. I mm-hmm. recognize these as some of the best movies of the decade. I would probably put them both in the top five if I was making like a best of, you know, the best kind of list. But then I realized that like that I didn't have as much of an emotional connection with them as I had with some other movies. So they just they moved from like, mm-hmm. I don't know, four and five down to seven and eight or something. It's not like they suddenly made some huge shift, but I just sort of kept kind of shifting them down slightly to get to make way for other movies and again i love those movies but it was just like oh yeah these are just movies that i watch and i'm like this is really damn good yes i i approve you know what i mean but it like respect yeah exactly well that's interesting though that you say that because then you also have the dark knight like is that more personal to you yeah so collateral and dark knight i think they're movies that i think are like really damn good and they have great thematic takeaways, as do Children of Men and, and No Country for Old Men. And I feel sort of, I feel like I have more of an emotional connection to them. Even though they are sort of like an action movie and a superhero movie, I feel a little bit more like I, yeah, like I have an emotional response to them. Huh. Granted, they're all basically the same thing. Like my 9 to 12 <laughs> right. are all yeah, yeah, yeah. basically <laughs> the same tier. And my my 4 to you know 7 are basically, it's kind of, at a certain point, it's like, what's better? Inside Out or Schindler's List? And you're like, I, that's not a question. That's yeah. not, that doesn't mean yeah. anything. You know? <laughs> so so it's not like, like, don't look too hard into why is this movie above this movie? But that's just sort of like is where they ended up falling. Because mm-hmm. The Dark Knight, we've talked about The Dark Knight on the sh- on the show, but it's it's just such a moment the dark knight moment right. was such a was such a thing yeah. that it is more than just the movie itself even it was like the imax experience the heath ledger performance like the car chase scene like just th- there's these things about it that right, were so right. monumental at the time it kind of just it's more than than the sum of its parts yeah right but well, yeah i mentioned uh that it was the last movie i saw in a theater actually when we talked about um we talked about it on the podcast and uh, I just remember sitting in the theater as the movie started and the first 10 minutes or something, I, I got emotional just because of how much I liked the movie, not because the movie was doing emotional things, but because I was just like, oh, damn, this is so good. And like, that was just really, <laughs> yeah, that music coming in, the Hans Zimmer, uh-huh. James Newton Howard, like, <laughs> give it to me. <laughs> uh, we're nerds. Yeah. <laughs> we, we're different kinds of nerds. We have yes. we have different yeah. nerddoms represented here. Right. A kaleidoscope of nerd. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Number ten, the curious case of Benjamin Button. Whoa. Number nine, up in the air. Number eight, Ooh. Inglorious Bastards. Mm. Number seven, Moulin Rouge. Number six, There Will Be Blood. Number five, Before Sunset. And number four, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Nice. Interesting. Interesting. So Eternal Sunshine did not make the top three. It didn't. It's it's one of those where I feel like it's I pulled it apart a lot and thought about it a lot. And that it's still in number four, despite all of that, I think just speaks to how amazing the movie is. It's like some of these movies have withstood the analytical pulling apart and remain high up. <laughs> uh, and so I think that's that's one of them. And then also, I, I was struggling to figure out which PTA movie am I going to put on this list? Right. Mm. And then which David Fincher movie am I going to put on this list? I went with Curious Case of Benjamin Button because I've said that it's one of my favorite films. So I felt like I kind of had to put my money where my mouth was. <laughs> commit. <laughs> commit to it. But like Zodiac was like, like, it's hard to know which one. And then, yeah, There Will Be Blood. I hadn't seen it for a long time. That was part of my fears in, in making this list is like there were movies that i know that i loved if i watched them today would i still love it mm-hmm. and some of these movies i kind of avoided because i didn't want to find out that i didn't love it anymore but punch drunk love is is in that spot where it's like it's either punch drunk love or there will be blood they're both amazing as i remember them but i rewatched there will be blood just to check recently and i'd forgotten a lot of the movie and the movie is insane and there's a lot of things that just like on paper i feel like i should not like about the movie but i love the movie <laughs> like i i think it's maybe my version of what you guys are talking about like alex and brian of like a movie that just puts you in a state mm-hmm, and right. just affects you and that movie's just undeniably does that to me and paul thomas anderson has his own like dialect of film language like the way you said no one can make a david lynch film but david like no one can make a pta film but him uh-huh. and i feel like there will be blood 
also because of the the moment that it came out and who I was when it came out. It was introduced to me as, you know, I was dating a girl and her brothers were like the cool older brothers and they were like really hip and like they like had a band and they listened to music and like the band names that they listened to, like no one had heard of before because like they're no, this is like this is real music. Sure, they were too cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they were like, yeah, we just saw like a pre-screening of There Will Be Blood at this like tiny theater in Berkeley and it's the best thing ever put on celluloid. Like wow. it's better than Citizen Kane. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and so that was like the frame of reference I had going into it, which I think just amped up the like hype that I was already feeling for it. So it's a reason why yeah, I haven't done like a video about it because I don't know that you can be like, this is a good screenplay. Like make this movie, everybody. But right. the yeah. movie that was made is was an undeniable force for me in, in my filmmaking journey. That was my first Arclight theater experience when I was visiting Ooh. LA, and it was a great first Arclight theater experience. Yeah. I think I also saw it at the Arclight because what year was it? It was 06, 07, wasn't it? It was the same year as No Country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was 07. So that was the year that I graduated from college, but I was out here and taking like a special semester and I was at like a film school for a special semester in LA. I mean, I, I, I went to college in LA anyway, but then I was like, yeah, near all of the like big downtown theaters and stuff. So maybe we were at the same screening. We might have been. It was loud <laughs> and it was good. It was very loud. <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis is just undeniable. Anyway. Also, Up in the Air, uh, which what is a movie a I love and have, yes. have not seen in a long time. But that was definitely one I considered. And I was like, do I rewatch it? And I was like, no, I don't think it would be in the top 10. But it's definitely like top 15 for me. Uh, I just haven't seen it in a long time. I need to revisit it. it. It pointed out to me at an important time in my life that movies can be good when it's just people talking. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's just mm -hmm. a very simple, well-constructed screenplay that really hit me. And afterward, I was like, well, that wasn't The Dark Knight. That wasn't like these other movies. Why is it so like memorable? And, it wasn't and, like my list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. And so I think, and it was one of the first movies when I was writing the blog post before starting Lesson from the Screenplay. One of the first blog posts I wrote was like, this is why Up in There is great. And it has always been a a movie that I intended to do a video about, but never did because I just love the construction of the screenplay. It's about a character getting what they need and not what they want. There's a lot mm -hmm. of great lessons within Up in the Air. So, When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we've done it. We've gone through 10 through 4. How are we all feeling? Good. I'm ready. Pretty good. This is a very strange kind of stress where we're just talking about movies that we like. Why is this? So and we're intense? all being very accepting of each other. We're not like, you know, it's a safe space. I feel like we're going to surprise each other less in our top three, maybe. Yeah. That's but the only unfortunate maybe. part. I don't know, though. But there have already been a lot of surprises, yeah. actually, for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, let's find out. Oh, boy. <laughs> Alex, what's your number three favorite film of the odds? The Lord of the Rings trilogy is my number three, which it's like, I don't even know what to say about it because we just spent three mm -hmm. podcasts saying everything about but them. But there is still more to say. <laughs> there is still more to say, sure. Yeah. There is always more. Yeah, I've already said on our Lord of the Rings episodes what these movies meant to me. They really yeah. cemented my desire to work in film, basically, because they were magic and I was obsessed with them. And then obsessed with the making of them even more and just loved everything about the process and the love that went into it so yeah i don't know yeah. what else to say really just lord of the rings undeniably changed my life see our previous yes. three yeah. long episodes <laughs> <laughs> you are very lucky that we let you put all three of them into one slot here Correct. You're welcome. Thank right. you. <laughs> that kind of feels like cheating to me personally, but I understand. I think it's okay. I mean, if you, if you make them three separate movies, then that just sounds like a really boring list. Like, what's your number three? It's a Lord of the Rings movie. What's your number two? It's a Lord of the Rings. Like, but it like it forces you to commit to that, though. Sure. Like, do you put them all as a one, two, three? It would probably force me to choose just one of them. But that also seems disingenuous and not the experience I'm talking about when I say how important they were to me is like the three year period of like all three right. of these movies coming out and like 
the anticipation of the obsession with all three DVDs and all three mm-hmm. everything. So to me, it's all one big experience yeah. that I'm referencing with my number three slot. Yeah. Yeah. Trisha, what's your number three favorite film? My number three film is Amelie. Nice. Oh, yeah. Amelie. Uh, lovely. It is just a special film to me. I, I still think it's incredibly gorgeous and well-made. And, you know, it's one of those movies where you have the soundtrack and you just like listen to the soundtrack on repeat and just all yes. of the beautiful is it's so beautiful. Like, mm. I don't know when you watch it, it's all the red and the green, like the saturation of everything. And the cinematography is gorgeous. But there's something about it. You know, I watched it when I was, you know, probably in college and with this guy that I was seeing at the time. And there's something about the way that it entangles like what's essentially a romantic story. You know, she sets out in that movie, like her goal, the main character's goal in that movie is to do a good deed to like reunite people with like lost memories and treasures and like their loved ones. And the scene that like makes me cry every time is the one where she like helps the blind man walk down the street and tells him everything that she's looking at. And just like moments like that, where it seems and and seemed to me at the time and seems to me now to transcend like simple love story in the way that Eternal Sunshine kind of does. Amelie obviously has a little too neat of a bow on the end of it, I'm going to say, in terms of like realism. Obviously, it's not it's doing the opposite of what Eternal Sunshine is doing. Eternal Sunshine is trying to do something purposefully bittersweet that's trying to hurt your feelings a little bit and talk (laughs) about like the difficult parts of love. And Amelie is not trying to do that in any way. I just think it's beautiful. And it's definitely a movie that I have picked up a lot just to watch to remind me of like why I love watching movies. Like there's like a twinkle in your eye as you're talking about yeah. Emily. Yeah. It's like so lovely. Yeah. Emily, I'm so happy you mentioned or it's on your list because it was in my, you know, 10 to 15 that I couldn't include. Emily mm-hmm. was definitely amongst them because it's another very special movie. And like a lot of the ones on my list, it was a huge inspiration for me as a filmmaker. Just the cinematography, the way it's put together, mm-hmm. the music. It is a really special kind of lightning in a bottle movie. It's so cinematic. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah. There are also a lot of movies that I saw during this decade and loved like Amelie, but then haven't seen again. Or maybe I saw them like twice within a a, a two year period, but then haven't seen it since then. I thought about revisiting some of those. And then I thought, well, if I haven't seen it again (laughs) in like 15 years, it probably doesn't make sense to have it in a top 10. Because like you were saying, Trisha, it's like, these movies that you watch a bunch and they sort of have like lived mm-hmm. with you over a long period of time. So that might like a movie might end up on my list later if I revisit it. I'm like, oh my gosh, I love this movie so much. And then I start sort of like it embeds into my <laughs> into my being or something. But I was like, yeah, if I loved a movie 15 years ago, but then haven't watched it again, then it's kind of hard to to put it on the list. Yeah, this one and Lost in Translation, which is my number five, are ones that I have been trying to get us to do videos about for a long time and uh-huh. uh, but maybe but maybe podcasts are the way for us to all watch them again and and maybe think about it. So I'd love to. I would love to with both of those. Yeah. Brian, number 3. Number 3 is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Hey! Yeah. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Not much to say. We haven't already said we haven't already talked about it. Checks all the boxes. It's great. The end. It just, you know, it feels like a like a perfect movie and what i mean by that is like i love movies that are that are really damn solid but they're not trying to do anything special like mm. a die hard or casino royale which is a title i'm sure we'll be hearing again shortly <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean right <laughs> you know but they're they're movies that like i struggle to put those kinds of movies on a top 10 list cuz i'm like yeah but i need a movie to be a little more like deep and heady and whatever you know and artsy and moody and blah 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 and then there are movies that are all those things, but they're not necessarily great movies. Like I'm thinking of ending things or, you know, some David Lynch stuff or whatever, or like drive where I'm like, I don't, I'm not arguing this is a good movie. I just like the experience of watching it. A lot of times it does some sort of heady philosophical thing that I like. Eternal Sunshine is a very rare example of a movie that that does it all. It works on both yep. levels. It feels like just a really solid movie and it feels like an artsy, heady moody kind of thing and you can get both of those things when you watch it and that like i said is very rare Mm. yeah my number three is children of men nice interesting number three okay yeah 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 i feel like that's kind of the meta game that we're getting into here is like 
is it gonna show up? And like, <laughs> right. we haven't quite had a bingo yet where a movie has been across all of our lists. I'm Ooh. trying to keep track. And we haven't had that yet. I'm pretty sure we will. Um, but that has not happened yet. So, but anyway, yeah, Children Men, we've talked about it. It's like the best movie ever made. It changed my life. It's the best thing that's ever happened to the world. That's great. <laughs> but it's number three. But it's number three. But it's number three. I'm now I'm really curious about two and one for reasons we'll talk about. Yeah. Children of Men is a movie that I respect the hell out of, but is so intense to watch that I haven't seen it a dozen times is all I'm saying. Sure. You right. know, it's yeah. just putting yourself through the experience of watching it over and over again, which I'm sure you've done, Michael. <laughs> seems like a lot to hold in terms of thinking about humans and the future. <laughs> <laughs> contemplating our doom sure yeah 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 (laughs) yeah i think at some point certain movies just become like i stop experiencing them as a movie and i just it's just fun to look at everything and remember Mm. what it was like when it was a movie and how good it was but it's not i'm not feeling the dread in the same way i'm appreciating everything that's going into the work that made me feel the dread Mm -hmm. so i can watch seven over and over again yeah yeah i'm not there with seven (laughs) yeah no (laughs) i'm i'm right there with you (laughs) So we're now at our number twos. I wish there was like, a, like I want to put bets down. Like I want to. <laughs> well, I know Brian already has all his predictions. Like, what do you think is my number two, Brian? Yeah, Brian has a list. I thought the fountain was going to be your top three. So I'm, and I thought Lord of the Rings was going to be your number one. So I don't know what's going on with you anymore, Alex. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure I know what it's about to be. Okay. Um, I think we're about to have our first bingo. Let's okay, see. Okay, yeah. Alex, you're right. Yeah. What's, Here comes your bingo. Two? Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Okay, there, you two. Yeah. there you go. Yeah. Once again, what else yep. is there to say uh, except for it's a time travel movie. It's a dream movie. It's about the pain <laughs> of love. It has my sense of humor. It's surreal. It's got a brilliant twisty plot. It's got perfect casting. It's got great music. It has everything. It's like the movie <laughs> to beat. <laughs> so, that's all. Good. Good movie. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that is the first movie that is on all four of our lists currently. It might be the only one. It might be. I'm pretty sure it will I, be. I think there's a, a good chance that that's the case. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. our overlap. Yeah. Huh. Brian, what's my number two? Uh, <laughs> no Catch for Old Men. No. Oh. oh. All right. But that's your number one. And Casino Royale is number two. It's Casino Royale, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, the yeah. other one. <laughs> I figured Bond would Bond would edge out. Very, very close. My number two is Casino Royale. Um, we've talked about it. It's one of maybe my... It is my favorite Bond movie. It is maybe the best Bond movie. That's saying a lot. But it's up there, I would say. And it's just also infinitely watchable incredibly well put together mm-hmm. it's a bond movie that exists at my intersection of like action movie also kind of heist movie and you know and romance and romance it's, it really has it all yeah yeah in a way that no other <laughs> bond movie like actually tries to <laughs> exactly yeah. it's got a female character that's a character <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> you know but i mentioned oceans 11 which is my number four and I, I didn't get to talk much about my love of like heist movies and sort of the tension of like gambling and sort of heisty things, which I really love. And Casino Royale just does everything. And it actually has an arc for Bond and all of this stuff, which, you know, we've talked about before. So, yep, it's just great. I'll watch it a thousand times more. Anytime. Anytime someone wants to watch Casino Royale with me, (laughs) let's hang out. (laughs) I feel like it's telling that before, you know, I saw it once when it came out and was not a fan of it. And then at your urging, we... We watched it and made a video about it. And it's telling that that almost right. it was like vying for a spot on my list because I appreciated yeah, it that so much great. more good. seeing it again. So it kind of is a movie and a half in some ways. In mm-hmm. some, you know, how The Dark Knight is kind of a movie and a half. Totally. Where it has mm-hmm. a whole arc and then it has like a fourth act kind of. Casino Royale really does, but in a way that works in the same way that I think it works for The Dark Knight. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fun when movies can pull that off of like, you were happy with what you have. You're getting more and you're happy still. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Brian, what's your number two? My number two is Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Aha. Interesting. Yes. I wondered. Yeah. I-, I knew it would be high, but I assumed Eternal Sunshine was going to take number two. I rewatched Hedwig last week and I I just had a moment of, forget the 2000s. Is this my favorite movie of all time? <laughs> like you were saying with Children of Men, Michael. Just like, you know, you talk about how affected you can be after seeing something and how that a lot of times can really affect 
how highly you, you rate a movie mm. is just the feeling you had after watching it. And it's not hyperbole to say after I watched this movie, I felt different. Like I just felt like a different person kind of thing. And that feeling has stuck with me every time I've seen the movie. And the last time, again, it's a movie that I'll like start getting emotional during random parts just because I'm just so in love with the whole thing. And I can watch it 20 years later and still feel the same emotions. And I've been like thinking about it for the past week and rewatching some of the songs and scenes and stuff. And it's just like, it's great. Anytime a movie that you've seen a lot of times and have spent a lot of time with can still can still do all those things to you. Yeah, absolutely. I remember also feeling like changed or deeply moved by that movie. And I haven't seen it like since the first time I saw it. And now I want to watch it again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, you should. Thanks for the reminder. Yeah, you're inspiring me to watch it again, too. I definitely have nice. not seen it since then. So, And I guarantee Michael has never seen it. I've seen <laughs> definitely parts of it. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, it, it is cool that, it, you know, another theme that I think emerges, which I guess is inherent in doing any, like, list of favorite films is sort of, you know, these are things that we use to shape our identities. Mm -hmm. And I think especially mm -hmm. movies from this time period, as we've talked about when we were kind of coming of age and all that stuff it's yeah there's just like a, an extra special something about these movies where you come out of the theater a different person than you went in and yeah. i think that's a really nice way of describing that yeah, yeah. Mm. what's michael's number two brian collateral wow brian is good collateral <laughs> is my number two yeah nice wow yeah which is a movie that i wouldn't have expected to be number two like you know two or three years ago but you know we talked about it on that our podcast episode we made a video about it and it's just such a good movie i think i've just yeah. as i've gotten older i just appreciate just good movies i talked about the crown and how it's good i think good is the best superlative that there is <laughs> it's just it's it's solid and it's just good and collaterals is good and just really fun to watch and uh, i think every time i've watched it i've enjoyed it more so yeah i really enjoyed revisiting it recently for the podcast yeah, yeah. such a good movie yeah, it's, it's yeah. one of those ones I liked it a lot when I saw it. And then it just sort of it stuck with me and I kept watching it. And every time I watched it, I felt like it got better. And then we made a video about it and it didn't it didn't feel like, oh, well, now that I've sort of dissected it, now it's lost its magic, you know, and, and then rewatching it to podcast about it a couple months ago was like, nope, still awesome. Yeah, I've seen it fewer than a dozen times, but I would <laughs> like to see it that many times because revisiting it recently just Incredible. Yeah. Just like yeah. the opening dialogue sequence with J.D. Pinkett Smith is just one mm -hmm. of the best mm -hmm. sequences yep. ever. Like, it's just so yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Beautifully shot. It's just, yeah, it's great. <laughs> All right. Well, it's time to it's reveal time. our number ones. I feel like I should pause dramatically. Um, you know, we have a Patreon, everybody. If you want to <laughs> go uh, support us on Patreon, uh, that, that, that'd be awesome. Uh, okay. So. Drum roll, Alex. We had at number 10, Mahalan Drive. Number nine, Requiem for a Dream. Number eight, The Dark Knight. Number seven, V for Vendetta. Number six, Moulin Rouge. Number five, The Fountain. Number four, Before Sunset. Number three, Lord of the Rings. Number two, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And number one, Children of Men. Yes. <laughs> Everybody expected, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was thinking about why this movie because as you said trisha it's not a movie you want to watch every day for sure mm -hmm. <laughs> so visceral and intense and uh distressing you know for so many stretches of it when i think about this movie i think of the word integrity like it feels like a mm -hmm. movie that has so much integrity through and through like it takes zero shortcuts with its vision of this dystopian future it is such a fully realized world that is so complex and so empathetic. And when it imagines this future, you know, this refugee camp in the future, it's not like a Hollywood idea of what a refugee camp would look like. It feels like a documentary about a real mm -hmm. place, like right now. Very much. And it, it, there's no gloss, there's no moviness to it. It's just raw reality, you know, giving, giving mm -hmm. you like a, true portrait of a possible future and to be so honest and have such integrity and then also get that budget to pull off the most incredible long takes of all time like all in one movie just seems impossible and uh and you know everything from the performances to the themes to the the emotional impact if eternal sunshine is like one kind of movie like i want to make or like that's the movie to beat 
like this is the other movie to beat like those are the two mm-hmm. like everything i've ever like wanted to make has always been kind of aiming towards one of those two north stars since that formative period of my life so that's definitely children of men can't deny the impact it had on me awesome yeah it was very it was almost a bingo it was very close to, right. to it was yeah. up there for me but <laughs> didn't quite yeah. make it I, I think it's kind of cool that there there haven't been more actually. We have we right. have a couple three out of four so far. We'll see how where it is when it all ends up. But yeah, um, yeah there's there's actually been more variety on our list than I was uh, expecting at one point. And thank goodness, otherwise we would be really boring. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Trisha, number ten, you had Punch Drunk Love. Number nine, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Number eight, Pirates of the Caribbean: The Curse of the Black Pearl. Number seven, The Incredibles. Number six, The Born Identity. Number five, Lost in Translation. Four, Ocean's Eleven. Three, Amelie. Two, Casino Royale. And number one, No Country for Old Men. Yes, damn. (laughs) Yep. This movie rocked me to my core. (laughs) I and I'm so angry that Brian got to write the video about it and. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like, we'll never get over that fact. This is one of my top movies, like three movies maybe of all time. It's it's up there. The Coen brothers are my favorite filmmakers pretty much across the board for so many reasons. But to me, No Country is their masterpiece. And it just is this combination of the themes that they like to explore and are fascinated by that meets... You know, obviously Cormac McCarthy's original work, which is incredible. So it's you have a couple of geniuses on both sides there and they come together in this genre also that is not a genre that the Coen brothers, they have worked in Westerns. Um, It's not the only genre that they do, but the genre itself is also doing the theme like so it, it just like somehow all of it is so thematically cohesive that every frame of it is perfect. And I've probably studied every frame of it to, and it's just, I can't get over how like spare and evocative and on theme every second of it is. And there's so little dialogue. It's just like such a great example of what visual storytelling is. The editing's incredible. There's no music in it. There's like, it's Mm. so good because <laughs> it doesn't rely it doesn't rely on tricks or like flashiness it does it's not slick it's doing all of these things on this really primal level and it's saying something like so deeply human but also like american and all of the stuff that i just can't i'm just in awe of it <laughs> you can't, <laughs> just can't. i can't i can't at all yeah so no country for men is a perfect movie and that's all yeah yeah <laughs> Cool. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 definitely one of those movies that it's funny because after seeing There Will Be Blood in the theater, I thought, Ugh, I'm so over this guy and his his big movies and his like pretentious stuff. And after seeing you No know, Country for Old Men, I was like, I need to go like read Tommy Lee Jones's monologue. I need to think more about this movie. I need to revisit it. And for that reason, I haven't seen There Will Be Blood a second time. And I'd actually really like to, um, you know, if we do a podcast about it someday or something. But what I love about No Country. And a lot of Coen Brothers movies is that they compel me so hard to revisit it, to to watch it a second time, to think about it, to see what other people have to say about it and that kind of thing. And and, and yeah, that's that's why I love that movie. I was talking to someone about this the other day and the Coens seem to understand, to me, at least to my mind, based on their filmography. I don't know them personally, but <laughs> <laughs> they seem to have a perfect understanding of what film can do and no illusions about what it can't Mm -hmm. or isn't for. So I feel like sometimes when I watch films from different filmmakers, you get a lot of the filmmakers ego bleeding in or like overreaching coming from Mm -hmm. the film where it's trying to be more than what it is. And the Coen brothers seem to have a really just, I don't want to say humble, but I, they have perspective on, I feel like, what they're making and they know exactly kind of what it is. Mm-hmm. And so and that's why I feel like they've made some movies that are, you know, not great movies, but they're willing to try things because they're they're interested in like sort of what the frame is that they're working within and they're experimental in that sense. And so you sometimes get movies that don't really work and then sometimes you get movies that 
that perfectly fill out the edges of the frame and <laughs> mm-hmm. every, you know, like yeah. dot and line within that is perfect. So, yeah, it's almost like there's a target. I was picturing this as you were talking and, you know, at the center, you know, you can overshoot, you can try to be more than like what you can do or you can undershoot and try to, you know, like aim low and then like, look, I did this thing that isn't that hard to do. But there's like this little like pinprick bullseye (laughs) and -hmm. I feel like no country hits it exactly. Right. Yeah. Dead center using the form to its perfect like extent. Yeah. All the tools using the toolbox that the tools come in. (laughs) Exactly. Awesome. Brian, number 10, you had high fidelity. Number nine, Ashana of the Dead. Number eight, Children of Men. Number seven, No Country for Old Men. Number six, Collateral. Number five, The Dark Knight. Number four, Mahalan Drive. Number three, Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind. Number two, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. And number one, The Lord of the Rings. Yeah. There it is. Nice. It's, a, it's, a, it's a boring <laughs> answer, but it's like, how do you even rank it? You know, like, it was impossible for me not to put it at number one because it's just, it's like more than a movie. It, for me, it's like it's either number one or I just disqualify it and it's not on the right. list of us. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is why I thought you were going to have it at number one too, Alex, for those same reasons. I have a huge like personal history with it. I have a huge emotional connection to it. It's 11 hours long and I want to watch it all the time. Like I've been like never <laughs> sad right. that it, it's as long as it is. So yeah, for me, it just sort of transcends movie-dumb. And, uh, and yeah, it's just, it's just very immersive too. It's like one of the few movies I can put on and just genuinely feel like I am, like I'm being sort of transported into some other plane of existence or something that's very hyperbolic but you know what i mean <laughs> just this sort of like yeah i feel like i'm well, you, you can live in that world yeah you know you, it yeah. feels yeah. like lived in and you can just be there for a while which is a really lovely feeling yeah and why i love you know once again i hope to do this in the future when we have theaters again i love doing like in a theater all day marathon because you truly right. do get to live in the world that way it's, it's really yeah. awesome yeah we were supposed to on memorial day of 2020 which guess what did not happen <sighs> uh, r.i.p 2020 <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but we have said a lot about lord of the rings michael we are watching closely what's your number one yeah okay so 10 was curious case of benjamin button number nine was up in the air number eight was in glorious bastards number seven was moulin rouge six there will be blood five before sunset four eternal sunshine on the spotless mind three children are men Two collateral and number one is, of course, Star Wars Attack of the Clones, the best movie that's ever been made. <laughs> Sorry, just kidding. Perfectly delivered. Well done. Thank you. Yeah. I was really excited to have that conversation. <laughs> I'm really sad <laughs> about your answer. Uh, no, number one is The Prestige. Yeah. There nice. It is. Yep. Brian, you are good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Brian knows this too well. It's a little scary. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, as as we've talked about on the podcast, it's it's a movie that is about movie making for me. Like it mm-hmm. encapsulates mm-hmm. why you tell stories. It's the look on people's faces. Like it has all of that. Plus it's just super fun. I think it's the right balance of Christopher Nolan, Nolanness and constraints preventing him from being too Nolan-y. And just <laughs> the time that it came out like resonated exactly right for me. So yeah, it's the movie about why people love movies. And so I, I love it for all those reasons. It was my number 12. I really wanted it. To, mm-hmm. I couldn't Same. scooch it up any further, but yeah. <laughs> it's hard to make these lists, um, <laughs> which is why I really want to hear from you guys, listeners, what your lists are. Yes, please. So tweet the Beyond the Screenplay Twitter so we can have it all kind of like in there you go. focused yeah. in a single place. But the Beyond the Screenplay Twitter is in the show notes along with all of our personal Twitters. Tweet us your lists because I want to see what your favorite films of the odds are and see what overlaps there are or, or movies that we didn't mention at all that might show up. Yeah, I'm sure I missed a bunch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, Brother Art Thou was a really high one for me. And I thought maybe like Trisha, you might have that. So no Wes Anderson on here. Like I, I wanted right. Royal mm-hmm. Tenenbaums at one point. I know. Coraline. I had almost famous like kind of in there mm-hmm. for a minute because it's so fun. Three of my potentially top 10 movies, favorite movies of all time are David Fincher movies. None of them came out in this decade. <laughs> so yeah. it's like this tricky. Yeah. 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 yeah it is, it's an interesting set of constraints. Um, but yeah. So share yours with us. We want to know people listening on Spotify. Let us know what your top film is. We'll check out all those answers. I have a question. I don't know if you guys have your years written down, but I mm-hmm. don't have anything later than 2007. Interesting. Does anybody have 08 or 09 movies in here? Uh, up in the air is 09. 
Oh, that's right. Okay. What happened? <laughs> I think the Bush era ended. And so maybe everybody got less creative. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to make movies anymore. Yeah. <laughs> when Hollywood is feeling angsty, maybe just, you know, get a little more. I I need to do a yeah. mini research project into what happened in 08 and 09. Because <laughs> for I mean, some financial reason, yeah, crisis. there's a big gap. Oh, uh, and Bastards. There you speaking, go. Right. Okay. Speaking of 2009, yeah. speaking of movies that almost made our list, our Patreon exclusive movie for this month is District 9. Oh, I didn't make that connection. Nice. So we, we need to go because we need to get ready to talk about that one also. Yeah. But yeah, so that'll be District 9 as our Patreon exclusive for February. We're in February, right? That's yes. what time of the year Correct. it is now. Yep. Great. <laughs> 2021. Excellent. Great. Well, this has been our conversation about our top 10 favorite films of the 2000s. Thank you, as always, to the patrons for supporting the show and making it possible. Beyond the Screenplay is produced by Vince Major. Our editor is Eric Schneider. I'm Michael Tucker. I've been joined today by Trisha Rand, Brian Bittner, and Alex Cayotos. As I said, all of our Twitter handles are in the show notes. Tweet at BTS with your top 10 lists. We want to see them. If you enjoy the podcast, tell a friend about it. Bring them, bring them into the fold. And we will see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. bye. bye.